podcast of the Biblical Christ Research Institute. For our written articles, go to bcri.wordpress.com. And for sermons, go to SoundCloud and search Biblical Christ Church. For comments and questions, email us at bcritrainofthought at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Episode 17, let me pull up the screen. Episode 17, Train of Thought, podcast of the Biblical Christ Research Institute. I'm joined, as always, by my brothers in Christ, Eric Powers, Michael Welland, Deron Gladden. It's good to see you, brothers, as always. And we're going to get, we're not going to waste too much time. We're just going to get right into it. Uh, We're continuing our discussion of doctrinal triage and uh, if it's biblical or not, of course, we are on the negative side of that, that the triage is not biblical. And <clears throat> so we're going to pick up where we left off at. We're going to try to uh, finish out this chapter. And then we're going to start doing this podcast every other week so that our brothers in the East can get some rest because they <clears throat> actually come on here later. Then uh, Duran and I, we're on the West Coast, so it's a little earlier for us. <laughs> it's a little later for them. And as has been said before on this podcast, we all work with our hands. <laughs> so we need to be able to get the rest that we need and also have time for our, to spend with our families. So we'll probably be doing the podcast instead of every Sunday, we'll do it every other Sunday just to give us time to rest so we don't get burned out. Because we have a lot of stuff we want to cover, a lot of things that we want to talk about. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Eric. And uh, we can go from there, starting with the essentials and non-essentials. I guess this is the section that's talking about um, how uh, the essentials and non-essentials kind of came to be through through the quote, right? Yeah, that's right. So this is the end, end of the, was this chapter two, page 14. Um, I wanted to put in a section here about essentials and non-essentials just because this has been a ongoing debate throughout church history. People arguing what is essential and what is non-essential when they're coming to the Bible, specifically doctrine. And so I think that the doctrinal triage is an evolution from this. And so I couldn't really write, this is another, this would be another thesis in and of itself if I just focused on, on this, because there's a lot too. There's a lot, a lot of people that had different things to say about this throughout church history. Whereas theological triage or doctrinal triage is a relatively novel concept, but I wanted to put it in here just to, just to show how, you know, this, this thought pattern um, of theological triage is an evolution from, this essentials and non-essentials debate. Huh? So you've, you've heard of this before, but all of us really, you know, mm-hmm. um, so some of the context behind this, when I, I brought this up, I think a couple episodes ago when I was talking to my senior pastor at the time, I was explaining to him, I wasn't really buying this essentials versus non-essential thing. And that's when he introduced me to Al- Albert Moeller's theological triage. So I'd been kind of fighting this battle here for a while. And I put in some revelations that I discovered 
in my studies uh, over this topic. So, you know, I just started off just saying, you know, this is this is this has existed throughout history, this essentials versus non-essentials. And a lot of it comes from what people misunderstand or misquote Augustine of Hippo. He lived 354 to 480 AD, and he's like championed as one of the greatest theologians of all time in church history. And people attribute this quote to him that he uh, didn't actually say. And if someone can find where he said it, please let me know and challenge what I'm saying here. But, but namely, it's uh, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Three prepositional phrases. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. But uh, there's no indication, like I said, if you go throughout you know, church history, you look at different books, that uh, talk about church history, we don't see this quote from Augustine's works. I don't know. You guys have heard that before, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> Many times over. Very, very so, popular in, uh, in, in Methodism, too. Oh, yeah. So when you, whenever you're arguing for the, the essential nature of doctrine across the board and you, you try to say that or try to put out, point out contradictions, like not all the elders agree on everything and they're not all like-minded and you bring that criticism towards them. People say, Oh, calm down, you know, in essentials, <laughs> unity in non-essentials, liberty and all things charity. So why don't you just calm down there? You ref restless and reformed little fellow, young, restless and reformed. So I was called young, restless and reformed. And so that's another uh, mantra from modern evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. And so, Hopefully the brothers listening out there be like, you know what? You got to keep the fire burning inside. You got to keep the zeal going. It's good to be young, restless, and reformed. I don't even know where that came up, who came up with that, you know, and whether it was a criticism or not, young, restless, and reformed. But we can also see in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty and all things charity as another esoteric, nonsensical series of three prepositional phrases. Who knew where that came from? I don't think it came from Augustine. I didn't ever read any of his stuff. Um, and I'm not the only one that feels that way, because if you look at the, the thesis here, it says, in fact, the origin of the quote is correctly attributed to a German Lutheran theologian named Rupertus Meldinius. And he lived 1582 to 1651. <coughs> I'm, get, I'm getting this from Shaft, and I need to point out all these things, because this is this information that the the meat of it the crux of it is uh is what is part of my argument so mm -hmm. going and and pointing going through these uh theological resources looking at these features you know i'm putting a lot of block quotations in this thesis i'm talking a lot about um who's who said what and how a lot of this confusion came to be in the first place is just over time People misquote people and attribute different things to different people. And really, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. It matters what the word of God teaches. But I just wanted to point out that uh, Augustine never really said this. And mm -hmm. so historian Shaft also pointed this out. And listen, he, he chronicles the origin of the sentence when he, write, when he wrote this. This famous motto, and it is a motto, it's like an evangelical mantra, this a modern evangelical mantra. And I just want to point out that I don't take exception to modern evangelical, modern evangelicals um, just because they're evangelical. I think it's good to be evangelical. I take 
exception to modern evangelicalism, which is going down this downgrade uh, pattern and controversy. And <clears throat> theological triage is one of the reasons why this is, this is happening. And so we're, we're redefining hermeneutics. We're uh, using outside principles of interpretation instead of God's self-attested principles of interpretation from his word to interpret. The Bible teaches us how we're supposed to interpret the word. And so from Shaft here, he says, this famous motto is falsely attributed to St. Augustine, whose creed would allow it. That's Shaft's opinion. He just puts that in there. Though his heart might not have approved, might, I'm sorry, whose creed would not allow it, though his heart might have approved of it. And so that's something that Shaft added how he thought his opinion but who knows you have to ask augustine personally and that's a problem because he died a long time ago <laughs> but it is much it has a, is much of a later origin it appears for the first time in germany in ad 1627 and 1628 among peaceful divines this is what they talked that's how they described the clergy in lutheranism during that time they call them divines of the Lutheran and German Reformed churches and found a hearty welcome among moderate divines in England. The authorship has recently been traced to Rupertus Meldinius, author of a remarkable tract in which the sentence first occurred. It probably occurred in 1627 at Frankfurt on the Order, the seat of theological moderation. Hmm. And again, that uh, footnote is where I got that. So I put together a chart here. You can see that the following chart is from Mildenus's <clears throat> essential and non-essential doctrines, but there's something very important if you look at this chart. So you can take that. The problem is you can take that sentence. Those are it's not really sentence. It's three prepositional phrases. Um, you can take that. What are they again in? Uh, in, in essentials, unity. Uh, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and all things, yeah. charity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, let's go back. You, all right, look, you can take those three prepositional phrases, in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and all things, charity. And because it's so esoteric and just uh, just, a, just a very um, general state statements here, you can apply it to anything. But what did the guy who actually came up with it, what, how did he actually define this? Yeah. And that's found on that chart, if you go to the chart. And this is what I'm saying. This is important for the discussion. So listen, this is what this is what he referred to as essential and non-essential. Essentials he called necessary dogma, and you look at the the left part of the chart here. Um, articles of faith necessary to salvation. He referred to those as essentials. The guy came up with this these three prepositional phrases. Mm -hmm. Second, articles derived from clear testimonies of the Bible. Articles derived from clear testimonies of the Bible. So that's a huge category that he called essentials. Third, articles decided by the whole church in a synod or symbol. And so that also would be a large category of essentials. And fourth, fourthly, articles held by all Orthodox, all Orthodox divines as necessary. Now, listen, yeah. when you when you go over to the you have something to say, anybody? Yeah, Um it, it seems like Meldenius's distinction is far more broad or strict as far as essentials are concerned. Cause then you have here first, you got the articles of faith necessary to salvation. Um, then you have articles derived from clear testimonies of the Bible. That's like the whole Bible. 
Pretty yeah. Much. So so if you're if you're actually <laughs> to write write down his all of these, if you elaborate on them, mm-hmm. you'd put together a whole um, systematic theology, probably. Yeah. They, but then you, you go to the third one. And that, these guys are, if, if you count just the seven ecumenical councils, if you just count those. That's a lot that's, of content. That's a lot of content right there. And that's I mean, not hundreds, hundreds of pages. Yeah, that's not even counting if you if you add like the Westminster Assembly, Canons of Dort, and, oh, yeah. and all that to it, uh, uh, Heidelberg. If you add all that to it, and then any other confessions that have been of the faith that have gone on with that, and then articles held by all Orthodox divines as necessary. I mean, oh yeah, it's kind of like why why even. Why even try to divide essentials and non-essentials in the first place? Yeah, it's kind of silly. And then look, look, look at the other, the right side here. These are non-essentials, not necessary dogma. And none of these one through five on the right side uh, are referring to biblical doctrine. Listen to this. Number one, not contained in the Bible. He said it was not essential. <laughs> okay, so that would be something in the Bible is essential. Number wow. two, number two, not belonging to the common inheritance of the faith. Uh, that's Jude, brother Duran. Yeah. That's Jude, man. That's number two. So, so, so he's saying he's agreeing with Jude here. Number three, not uh, something that's uh, uh, like like when you have a lot of theologians um, teaching. If you put kind of like, let's talk about soteriology for a second. You have, uh, you know, MacArthur has his camaraderie with, you know, all these other yeah. guys and they have a relationship mm-hmm. like R.C. Sproul and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to like, you know, the five points of Calvinism, for example, mm-hmm. um, everyone would teach the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when everyone has different opinions. But then again, you have to follow number one. If your opinion is not contained in the Bible, then it would be non-essential. So he's looking at you know everyone who's teaching, generally sound theologians, and um, and if some guy comes around with something new, kind of like theological triage, um, it it would have failed the test, and and then yeah. actually theological triage itself would be considered non-essential, or should have been when it came out in the first place. And then number four, uh, left doubtful by grave divines. So you go back to those uh, famous theologians that have passed away, mm-hmm. like um, that came before us. Mm-hmm. And, and we can look at what they say. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't say it, then, you know, it's probably not essential. According to, according to his standard, though, this is, this is Aldinus's standard. And then fifth, not tending to piety, charity, and edification. He said it was not essential. So uh, that's, a lot, that's a lot different than how people use that phrase today. And I want to point that out. The guy who said this actually put also together a chart to point these features out. Yeah, it's, it, it wasn't as, as esoteric as just those three prepositional phrases. So that's a that's a mic drop in and of itself. What do you guys think? Well, I, I mean, I agree because the, the the very first point on a non-essential side, it's just not contained in the Bible. You can't you can't argue a triage from the scriptures. You just can't. I mean, you, you might try to use First Corinthians 15 and when Jesus talked about weightier matters of the law, but we're get, we're going to look at all that in a, the following, yeah, we're gonna get into that. Oh, yeah. the following weeks. But right. even with just those little bit, those those 
few verses is still a weak argument for a triage. Sure. So the triage is, falls on its face just on, if you're using Meldenius's distinction, the triage falls on its face just from the first, the very first non-essential point. Oh, yeah. And, and look, I point out too here, I need to read this because it's important. Even in Meldenius's famous quote, the chart above shows that his non-essentials were not biblical doctrines, but matters of practice yeah. in general. So people deviating even away from, but when it comes to practice, you know, we need to be um, orthodox in our doctrine, but also orthopraxy. You need to not just be a hearer of the word, but you need to be a doer of the word. You need to practice it. But a lot of people have a lot of opinions of what it means to actually practice being a Christian. And I say, you know, I'm reading the New Testament, and this is the objective truth, actually, not just what I'm saying, is that there are imperative commands in the imperative mood in the New Testament that tell you from Christ and his apostles how you're supposed to live. These are commands from them that we need to obey. And so when you move away from that and you become biblically illiterate to those imperative commands, you start adding all these different things like what you're supposed to eat and what, how you're supposed to dress and all those, all those uh, features that people add to what's there. So I think churches would be much more healthy and we'd be much more sound when it came to practice if, first of all, we weren't biblically illiterate of those imperative commands and that we simply we need God. We need the spirit of God to, you know, give us fruit so that we can actually have the ability to live out those imperative commands in the new Testament. And that's going to protect you from legalism. That's going to protect you from antinomianism. And so stop making these, uh, these extra charts and paradigms and other philosophies like doctrinal triage. It's not going to help anyone. Mm-mm. live a life of godliness not at all it's actually going to actually is going to cause more confusion than it is going to help and you see that today and there'd be, there'd be there'd be less fighting too if we were all unified and then like i look at your life and i'm like dude you're not living according to this imperative command you know it's like jesus said if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault like uh, based on based what? on what based on what my own opinion of how I think you should live or mm-hmm. clear statements, clear imperative commands from the new Testament. Exactly. So that, we, so, so that, so that I say, Hey, I'm seeing this in your life and you're looking at me and be like, Psh. and then, but then we open the Bible and we both look at it. And then, and then you look at me and be like, you know what, Eric, I think you're right, man. I'm sorry. And then you work it out that way because it's clearly laid, it's laid out before us and it's not esoteric. It's not just based on um, opinion or emotion or any of those other things. And so, you know, it's, it's very, it's very clear cut. It's not that complicated. Right. We make it complicated when we add things to what God has prescribed. Yeah. I think that the, the, the point that I was getting ready to make, and you basically said it is that, with this triage now opinion becomes almost as high if not a higher authority than scripture itself oh yeah yeah because this is the yeah you're you're using this as a is you're championing uh over scripture and you're using this in a sense that you're um outlining scripture with something outside and therefore it's kind of like um covenant theology the uh covenant of of uh 
covenant of, of, of grace mm-hmm. and a covenant of works. Covenant of redemption. And redemption. And so that is the overarching covenant. And under that, you have an extension of that are the biblical covenants. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so they came up with that as the overarching thing. And then that's kind of like superior to the actual biblical covenants that come from the text. I'd have to agree with you on that. So, but, uh, but back to the, the, you know, even like not going off of like not being, not correcting people with this. You go to your elders and you say, I have this criticism, blah, blah. And they go, you know, man, you need to calm down and essentials, unity and non-essentials, liberty and all things charity. And they're using that instead of like, and then everyone gets mad and, and frustrated. But look, if you actually follow the way that God has prescribed uh, and, you, and you're wrong, and we open up the Bible and look at it, you, you don't get mad at me. You're like, man, you're actually mm-hmm. thankful that I showed, I showed you, but it's not like my opinion. I'm showing you from the text where you're wrong. That happens and, between genuine believers, Eric. The reason why it doesn't happen is because you have unregenerate people trying to have these types of discussions for the most part. So the reason people get angry is because they're really angry at God. They don't want the truth before them. True brothers, true sisters have these discussions all the time and work these things out biblically. And the reason it doesn't happen is you have uh, unregenerate men leading churches with unregenerate people filling the pews. And so this is the problem. So it's, it's an easy cop out to say essentials and non-essentials, then actually get into the doctrine and actually deal with the truth. Yeah. If you, t- if you take this deeper, I mean, like what you're saying, Mike, people are using this to hide behind because they don't want soundness in practice. No, they don't, they don't want accountability. This is their accountability. It's like back off in essentials, unity, non-essentials, liberty, and all things charity. That's correct. Just, just let me cling to my pet doctrines. Yeah, don't don't I tip, mean, I, don't tip over my sacred cows. Leave yeah, them, leave them in my yard. I agree. I, I I think too. You know, in addition to what you brothers are saying, I I think also you, and all the things you're saying, it's it's. The, the triage's greatest effect is, I think, to take away zeal from people who might otherwise have it. And, you know, obviously, yeah. even, the, even the myth of the so-called cage stage uh, individual, yeah. you know, where if you're passionate about doctrine, if you're fighting for the truth, if you're willing to uphold the apostolic body of, of uh, or the apostolic corpus of, of divine truth, and if you if you're willing to be dogmatic about the the word of God, then they want to label you as us. At some point, you'll mellow out. And I believe this is the instrument that is primarily used to mellow people out. Uh, I also think, and we've yeah. said it before, um, I, I think also that if you're going to triage doctrine, you eventually have to triage men. And I think you can quiet people by, you know, you can have two people saying the same thing. One might be an evangelical celebrity. The other might be lesser known. But I'm going to follow what he's saying, even when he goes off the rail. And you two may have said the same thing at one point because he's more influential. So I think now you're seeing the effect of the triage is that you have men uh, and women who are being triaged. Where if you do go to your elders and say, you know, I just I'm convicted that all this is unified and that we have to uphold it and fight for it and hold one another accountable to it. You know, it becomes an experiential argument against you that, you know, you either aren't mature enough to make that kind of argument or you need to feed yourself through a particular program or instrument or some kind of way to cleanse you 
from having passion about these uh, things and about the fact that you, that you, we need to be unified in them. So I think those are the effects that are lulling people kind of. Yeah, from this stuff, absolutely. You know? You're yeah, you're 100% correct, man. Um, and I think, you know, this creates an environment where you're triaging men. Um, one of the things that when it comes to men in competition in general, and they step on each other to get ahead in the fraternity is when someone comes and, you know, like that and criticizes and uh, is going over these features, it's going to mess with your status and your position because you bought into this, this nonsense in the first place in the fraternity. And so you're going to want to stop them, you know, get crush them and prevent them from getting ahead. It's not just to get ahead. It's just that we would have harmony. So what we're trying to foster here in the bill of Christ research Institute it's not a fraternity where we hide behind a fraternity or we hide behind these um, esoteric f- phraseologies, these mantras just to, that are extra biblical. Give give me a biblical sentence. Give me chapter and verse. Give me the scripture verse. Mm-hmm. Sit down with us. We want to foster an environment yeah. where we're sitting down, which we're going to get to when we get in the next chapter for sure. Mm-hmm. These are the biblical arguments. This is what, this is what we're defending these are we're making our arguments from the text we're interested in exegesis and exposition not eisegesis so leave your phrase out you know your extra biblical phrases you that you think you're clever and give me the word of god give me chapter verse give me the scripture verse you're making your argument from in context oh yeah and and, and, and so that's what i'm saying it takes work, so we got to sit down. And we, there's, a, there's a lot to this. Mm-hmm. And let's not be lazy and just drop drop a, a three prepositional phrases and be like, got them to back off. You know, we, we protect the money. Look, Can anyone... Oh, look, oh, any, oh, that's it, a really good point right it, there. It, look, anyone that's interested in truly protecting God's name, God's word, will sit down with anyone and have the biblical discussion. The people that are refusing to sit down and have discussion. The ones that are only worried about protecting their name and their business and their church. And, That's they're, the and, they're, hiding, line. and they're hiding behind the fraternity. And they're hiding they're behind hiding. these, 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 these uh, modern evangelical cultural phrases. Yeah. Follow the money. Follow. So I'm not really interested in, so I haven't, I really have an opportunity to sit. No one's, no one's really, no one wants to sit down with me. And so I just want to sit down and be like, you know, what does the Bible say? So this is, this is, what, this is why we're doing this podcast in general this it needs to be a place where we're fostering true biblical exegesis and exposition i mean honestly speaking about the biblical crisis the research institute there were when we first started or when i first met you guys there were areas where we had disagree where i had disagreement with you guys oh do you remember i started off as i was on millennial when i first met you guys oh yeah but over time, just working with the three of you and being exposed to the scriptures, say this, this is what the scriptures say. And, you know, I, I can realize, okay, well, yeah, I've been doing some uh, exegetical gymnastics to try to come to some conclusions. And, you know, it takes humility to be able to have that crisis of belief where you're exposed to the text and the text is clearly not saying what you believe it to be saying and then being able to change that 
and uh, make sure that you are uh, rightly dividing the text from then on out. And I mean, on top of that, I mean, we've we've had disagreements even during the Biblical Crisis Research Institute. You know, uh, like I know Duran and I, I think him and Eric too, kind of went back and forth on Romans seven. You know, um, but it was it was civil. It was respectful. It was well, just it was just well, yeah, brother, and, and, brothers and getting I, together just to see what the text says. Well, now I'll I'll tell you the posture and the freedom of not holding to the triage is, and I, I you know you mentioned Romans seven. I was wrong in my interpretation of it, and I recall when the brothers addressed that with me, I had to go back and study it. But that wasn't enough. I had to not only study it; I had to refute what I once believed and thankfully I hadn't preached it or taught it anywhere because I would have to go back and refute it that way as well um, but it is to be a champion then of what's right and I think that's the humility that if you're going to attach yourself to something like the doctrinal triage you're not going to have that humility you're not going to be able to because it's not constructed on a humble exegetical interpretive I want to know the divine author's intended meaning in the text it's, it's not you're you're not in position where that is the priority mm-hmm. and you know I, I would also say and not that i know we gotta we gotta move on but you know i would also say when you're when you're dealing with the sense in which individuals are not only holding to this but championing this i think it's good to, and helpful to provide a distinction and i like that you brothers did that with what we're doing here. We're not sitting down each Sunday, even for cheerleaders. I don't care if there's two people watching this. I don't care if there's 5,000. Um, I'm not looking and seeing, you know, who, who's going to like, you know, what we're saying, who's not going to like it. I obviously want people to, to, uh, to conform to the truth of God's word, if that's what we're saying. And we want to be right about that. But this isn't about trying to amass for ourselves people who simply agree with us and then we can do what we please with them, put them on a spreadsheet and ask them for money. Like, to me, this is really about the truth. Yeah. And also Ephesians 4.12 for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of man or son of God to a mature man to the measure and measure of the stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's why we're doing what we're doing. So here's the legacy of the triad so far. Whereas we want you to really be like Christ, be conformed to him, uh, crafted in his image and maturation in him. You have people who are saying, we want you to be like Christ, but really what they mean is they want you to be like them. And then you guys just talk about Jesus a few times. And I think that is the legacy of the triage. The legacy of the triage is you'll probably talk about doctrine, maybe, but you're really just joined together because you both want something from each other. And I think that's the trouble that you have with people actually sitting down and wanting to talk about these things because they're like, oh, well, I, you know, you're not offering me upward mobility and there's nothing I really want from you in that regard. So there's no reason to really sit down and hash these things out. So like you said, let's just construct these models and these theological novelties and then just hide behind them. But 
you know, I, I just I just believe it's necessary to show people a distinction as to why this stuff matters, but it's also very, very damaging um, mm-hmm. to a person's Christian growth and maturation and to your confession. Many people can make shipwreck of the faith for holding to this stuff uh, because, again, you have to feed yourself into the notion that God's resources are somehow limited and uh, and the only way to contribute to that battle is to deconstruct the resources that are before you, namely the word of God and his truth and the saints. Right. Um, so it's important. Oh, yeah. Can you can you back up a little bit the top of the page? Uh, 15. Let me see something. I think I. Yeah, I'll go down the, bo- the bottom of 15. Sorry, my bad. Uh, yeah, so an example of this becoming an official mantra of modern evangelicalism, you have the mantra has been embraced as the official motto of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church denomination. So if you go to their website, I mean, this is their, oh, at the time when I wrote this, I don't know now, but if you go there, this is the, um, this is their like uh, mission statement. You know, if you go to a company, they have a mission statement or three core values that they go behind. These are the, these are the three core values. These three prepositional phrases have been embraced as the official motto of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church denomination. Now, with the crazy thing is, if you go down to the next page, there's a there's an influential author that wrote an entire book, and he outlined the book based on these. He, uh, chapter one was uh, was based off of an essentials unity, and then chapter two was based off of non essentials liberty, and chapter three all things charity. So he made an entire book. And I, if you go down, go to the, go down the bottom of that page, would you? Yeah, get one second. Let me uh, let me read this EPC right quick before you do that. Oh yeah, sure. Go ahead. So he says, in a, in addition to the Westminster Confession of Faith, we have developed the essentials of our faith. While we believe that all of our faith is important, some elements of that faith are absolutes. For example, it is essential that we agree on the meaning of the atoning death of Jesus on the cross. On the other hand, we do not believe it is essential to agree on the timing of Christ's second coming. The EPC, therefore, has set forth these core beliefs of the Christian faith upon which there must be agreement, but permits latitude and biblically based, in parentheses, differences of opinion on matters not considered essential to be a Christian. (laughs) I mean, how do you have a biblically based difference of opinion? You're either right or you're wrong. Yeah, there's a lot of postmodernism wrapped up in that. (laughs) Yeah, I just wanted to read that so that if people didn't actually go look to the site, they could actually hear straight from the horse's mouth what, what they believe. Oh yeah, and it's created it's actually, an environment where false humility is virtuous. It's something to be desired, even though they won't admit it. It's just complete false humility and really arrogance to think you know better than God's word. And so, when people say maturity with these things, they they, they don't really mean biblically mature. They're they're basing that on human standards and saying so. You stepping away and saying, "Hey, you know, we can we can quote unquote agree to disagree or blah blah." I mean, that's cowardice. I mean, you're a coward if that's how you operate, because it's not the biblical mandate is to fight for all truth and the truth delivered uh, to us from the apostles laid down. And so we're to, we're to fight and stand firm. I mean, you go I don't want to get too far. But you go in church history. There were men 
who, who wrote letters back and forth to each other, the, the, the ecumenical uh, meetings that they have were because of this, and they fought for doctrine and fought for truth, and they wrote to each other, we've got a bunch of cowards in our day that won't even sit down face to face. If these men could sit down, they would, but they were far away, so they wrote letters back and forth, back and forth, arguing for doctrine, arguing for truth saying you're a heretic based upon this and then having councils to say this is heresy. I mean, we've become so, so effeminate, so cowardice that we can't even have a face-to-face -face discussion when we live 10 miles from each other. So it's just it created this faux unity and this false humility that is just indoctrinated people in becoming these cowardice, um, just compromisers that is the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, even if you think about it, think about church history at that time they didn't even have the means of transportation they didn't have zoom skype facebook live messenger they didn't have all the the, the access yeah. that Vehicles. we have today and, but yeah. they would but they would travel hundreds of miles oh, yeah. just to go sit down and talk face to face with whoever it was that they were disagreeing with you know i was reading about I have a book on the Reformation, but it's the actual letters that were written and stuff like that. You can see mm -hmm. Luther, Luther and Erasmus just going back and forth, back and forth about the will, you know, man's will. I mean, it's just, like you said, it's, it's a tragedy that we can't just sit down and have a Bible open in front of us, or you have your Bible, I have mine, whatever, and we just sit and say, okay, I don't agree with this. Well, let me show you in scripture and just hash out the scriptures, do some exegesis, do some, make sure everything's in context and then come to a conclusion whether yeah. we need to uh, repent and, and be convicted of our error or whether the other person needs to be repent and be convicted of their error or the, or we both need to, <laughs> or we yeah. were both off in some way, shape or form. But this, people just want this triage unity and it doesn't work at all. It really, it really yeah, it really makes me wonder about I mean, I mean this. It makes me wonder about the motive that people have to go to where they go on Sundays, and like, what it, what is their motive to sit before people and even listen to something being taught? And you know, whether it's taught incorrectly or rightly, they probably aren't really in that place to discern from the two. But it's just what it, what is what is the motive to Sunday after Sunday go to a place and just you know, you're sitting there, you're, I mean, is it to lift quotes so that you could put them on a social media profile? Like, I, I don't, you know, like, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, like, how do you get back to a place where people are actually willing to, uh, to sit down and discuss these things? And I think it's what, you know, Brother Mike and Eric often say, spiritual revolution, the new birth. I mean, I just, I, I think we're dealing with a lot of people who just, they, they haven't been born again. And so there's that sense in which, the triage is, and I'm not saying everybody who unknowingly holds to it are in that position, but yeah. a, a lot of people who are, who would champion it. I'm, I'm just wondering, where's your faith? You know, where's your faith in keeping it together as opposed to deconstructing it? Well, here's, here's one guy that, uh, that we all have doubted Norman Geisler, just based on his positions of soteriology. Yeah. But yeah. I put it, I put in here that he has an entire book that he loves these three prepositional phrases so much. For instance, chapters one through 17 of this book that he wrote called conviction without compromise. The chap, the first 17 chapters were organized under the heading part one essentials in unity. And then chapters 18 to, through 29 were organized under the heading part two 
in non-essentials liberty. And in the conclusion of the volume, chapters 30 to 31, part three in all things charity. Wow. So he was a very, very popular fellow amongst yeah. more, not straight Arminian, but basically Arminian. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you have that, and then you have the, the, the not the, the PCA, but the, PC USA, which PCA would be like, yeah, well, they're apostate, they're apostate liberal, blah, blah, blah. Um, But again, like the essentials and non-essentials has been around for a while. And so I think that theological triage is evolution from that. If you go back, you talk about Martin Luther, like Mike was pointing out, 1483 to 1546. I put a quote in here from him and you can tell from this guy that if he was faced with this today, that he did, he'd take exception to uh, Albert Moeller. So a lot of these guys that like Albert Moeller, they have to face the fact that some of their reformed heroes would strongly disagree with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so publicly. This, publicly. Now listen yes. to this. this. This is from, this is from uh, Martin Luther. Can you guys hear me? I dropped my, my mic and all my stuff fell apart. Oh, you're, put it back you're, together. You're, I can hear you. you're clear. Okay. All right, this is a quote from Martin Luther. Just as in the days of the apostles, so at this day we are forced to hear from certain denominations that we, by our obstinacy to adhere to the truth, do offend against love and unity in churches because we reject their doctrine. This is what Mike was talking about. You know, they went back and forth with each other. It would be better, they say, that we should let it pass, especially since Mm. the doctrine in dispute is what they call non-essential. This is coming from Martin Luther. He's just what he faced, and he had frustrations with this. So whether you like Martin Luther or not, you have to also you have to get this this bigger picture of what I'm talking about here is that majority of guys that like Albert Muller, well, they would also say that Martin Luther is one of their heroes. And if Martin Luther um was here today because I mean I have a quote from him where he's taking exception to this non-essentials versus this essentials versus non-essentials. If you brought the, the triage thing, I mean he'd make him even more furious. And he was a very colorful fellow. Very so he's he says uh especially since <laughs> the doctrine in dispute is what they would call non-essential and therefore they say to stir up so great a discord and contention in the church over one or two doctrines and those not the most important ones is unfruitful and necessary. That's the argument. And then this is what he says. To this, I reply, cursed be that love and unity, which cannot be preserved except at the peril of the word of God. So this kind of, this kind of um, non essential versus non-essentials thing, Martin Luther publicly cursed. So it's gonna be hard for you guys to appeal to him as your hero. He had, you know, he he would have taken exception to this thing with uh, Mueller. Now, listen, everybody wants to claim. Let's say, let's say um, you got problems with Martin Luther because you don't like uh, trans, you don't like uh, physical consubstantiation because you're more of a a memorial person or you're you know arguing with them or or you take exception to infant baptism well now we have charles spurgeon and everybody wants to say charles spurgeon is their hero well if charles spurgeon was faced with moeller 
with Mueller's argument with triage, Charles Spurgeon would take exception to Mueller as well, because this is what Charles Spurgeon said. And I found a quote from him. He conveyed disapproval of the structure of just essentials versus non-essentials, which triage definitely evolved from, or the modern evangelical version of anyway. It evolved. Doctrinal triage evolved from this two-tier structure of essentials versus non-essentials. This is what Charles Spurgeon said. There is another inconvenience to which you will most surely be exposed, namely that you will be charged falsely. Some will say you make too much of non-essentials. That is a thing I frequently hear. Non-essentials, exclamation point. There are certain things in Scripture they tell us that are non-essentials, and therefore they are not to be taken notice of, ellipsis. And if I found that in Holy Scripture there were doctrines, he's saying if he did, there were doctrines of less value than the great points of our Christian religion, I should still think it would be my duty to bow my judgment and turn any intellect to the reception of God's truth just as God sent it forth. And then this is what Spurgeon goes on to say about this. That idea about non-essentials is wicked and rebellious. Cast it from you. Go outside the camp. Be particular in every point. To the tiniest jot and tittle, seek to obey your master's will and seek his grace so that you will walk in the ways of his commandments with a perfect heart. That's from Charles Spurgeon, his sermon, The Tabernacle Outside the Camp. A lot of people like get warm and fuzzy when they hear Spurgeon, but did you actually, did you have actually read his sermons? <laughs> yeah. I, have I you have actually, th- have you actually thought about the things that he says? Cold yeah. book. Or are you just picking and choosing and just cutting and pasting and just dropping some, some sentences on Facebook? Mm. Well, he would have taken exception to this triage thing as well. I just want to point that out because I actually have another quote from S. Lewis Johnson that I found uh, recently. I think my wife showed it to me. She did. Um, and he's and he was talking about Matthew Henry. So you got S. Lewis Johnson talking about Matthew Henry. And this is important because these guys, everyone's appealed to, but they take exception to a lot of the way that we're acting today in modern evangelicalism. So he said the old commentator, Matthew Henry, once said, we shall we shall not only be called into account for the truth that we knew and did not apply, but also for the truth that we might have known and did not come to know. And I agree with them. I think God's going to we have to answer to God for the truth that we might have known, but we did not come to know because of stupid prepositional phrases that get in the way that people use to protect their money in their fraternity. God is so meticulous on every point. You don't think that he's going to bring that stuff up? I agree with this 100 percent. Let me read this again. The old commentator, Matthew Henry, once said, we shall we shall not only be called into account for the truth that we knew and did not apply, mm. but also for the truth that we might have known and did not come to know. He goes on to say, so when the time of the judgment seat of Christ takes place and the believers pass before that judgment, they shall not be judged simply concerning the truth that they know and did not apply, but also by that truth that they might have known if they had diligently studied the word of God. Therefore, the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek is a rather important thing. And he's making that argument because maybe people are saying when they're going to the Hebrews at that particular point. But that just points out, you know, someone would say, you know, why, you know, why are you making such an emphasis on, you know, the correct thing there? Isn't that non-essential? So we just got to stop it. I mean, you know, people are doing this and it's just it's just crazy. I mean, what's the deal? 
Well, right. well, and that and I think I think that's the that is the effect of the triage. Like when you look at a, a man like Spurgeon, and I mean, you brothers talked about it. You begin to value a person not on the basis of doctrinal fidelity, but on the other things, such as he had a large ministry. He used flowerly flower flowerly language. Um, you know, you begin to to weight those things as as even more essential than his faithfulness and the truth. And I think that's how people approach these guys to the point where you will never really hear modern evangelicals use the quote you just read from a guy like Spurgeon in the catalog of hundreds of quotes that they actually use. Oh yeah. 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 They'd skip that one. Absolutely. So I I really think, I really think that the distractive and destructive power of the triage is that even when you begin to look at the men uh, of yesteryear who would have rebuked it sharply, you distract from the very words that they use to rebuke it sharply and begin to, well, Spurgeon had a big church. Spurgeon did this. Spurgeon did that. And you begin to point to all the externals that Spurgeon himself didn't want to be known for. And so I really think that to recover doctrinal fidelity, mm-hmm. it's like you said, you have to tell people stop. I mean, because the effect is even in how we approach a man like Spurgeon, where we just love his language. We love that he used a bunch of words and that, you know, his vocabulary was extensive, but it, it's the question you ask. Are we really listening to what was preached? Are we really listening to what was said? Uh, do we understand his positions and how his positions alienated him in his time? Oh, yeah. Right. definitely. And so I just I, I really believe this is the effect, the legacy of the triage is before us where, you know, you can have a class or seminar on Spurgeon and never really hear anything about his positions. You know, you just hear a biographical sketch of his "quote unquote" influence in England. Yeah, and that was the, that, that was the, the point I was making, uh, even in, in seminary. You know, yes. you know, what, just let's look at the other things that he said, not just the warm fuzzy stuff. Right. And look, man, uh, we we gotta we gotta talk about some scripture here. So there there's biblical support that all doctrines are essential. And I make my case from 2 Timothy 3.16. It reads, all scripture is inspired by God. Theopanustos, God breathed. It's not saying that he breathed into the authors in that sense um, and inspired, inspired them in the sense that, you know, you look at a, you look at a painting, and you're like, oh, wow, that's beautiful. And, and it makes, inspires you to write a nice poem or to write. When it says all scripture is inspired by God, the words Theopanustos is talking about the origin of the scripture comes from God. It's God breathed all scripture. And so I don't want to triage God and his word comes from him. So I'm not going to triage his word because his word is tied to his nature. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, for, for correction, for training in righteousness, all of it. All of it. That's, that's what Paul said, all of it. So who are you to say um, God can come this only this far, but not all the way with this or that or whatever. Who are you to go through the scripture and say that this is important and this is not important as if man stands over judgment, man stands as judge over God's word. I mean, come on, what's the deal here? The, here, the apostle Paul prioritized all scripture, all of it. He did not give a hierarchy of doctrines in sequential order, but rather appealed to an entire corpus quantity of content, not quality, quantity genesis to revelation quantity of content 
namely the special revelation of God, the word of God breathed out by God. In the Old Testament, God commanded Joshua to observe all the given revelation that was available to, available to him at that time. Cross-reference Joshua 1.8. Also, when Jesus commissioned the apostles in Matthew 28, he commanded them to make disciples of all nations and teach them to observe all that he commanded them. To teach them to observe all that he commanded them. So as a final point, uh, and this, and I, I love bringing Deron's name up because he always uh, talked about this when we were together seminary and i love him for that for the final point when jude called for believers to contend earnestly for the apostolic faith considering the threat of false teaching and the danger of hip apostasy he identified the faith as that which was once for all handed down to the saints jude three once for all handed down to the saints not not uh triaged and saying jews like you know you know this is first tier and then this other section is second tier and third tier, and then going as far as saying that the doctrine on all the features of um, the great exchange of the cross, the doctrine of imputation, soteriology, 15th tier. Are you serious? One professor said 15th tier. So as in, su in summary, the debate on the validity of doctrines of the word of God to be categorized as essential or non-essential has been a point of contention as early as the Reformation, because we can go back and we really see it there. That's why I pointed that out um, concerning essentials and non-essentials. And I think that doctrinal triage evolved from that two-tier structure because doctrinal triage is, is three-tier, anyway, uh, Moeller's model anyway. And so I can see how if you, I mean, think about it for a little bit. Don't you see the, the kind of evolve from that? And um, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to write. Just maybe someone else can write a thesis about this essentials versus non-essentials because it'd be a lot more information because you have a lot more people talking about these features, like in that particular two-tier structure. But we went back and we saw what, what did uh, Maldinius actually say, and so don't take that out of context either. So I think doxal triage is evolution from a two-tier structure into a three-tier structure. So I think I think the harmony, though, between the two systems is undoubtedly interdenominational relations. And I think that's the problem yeah. here. People want interdenominational relations. And they're not like Martin Luther. You know, he's he's talking about what he's what he thinks is scripture teaches. He's getting fights with everyone. All that stuff, and people don't like that because it's uh, controversial, uncomfortable. It's not, it's, it's not nice. It's it's unloving, so on yes. and so forth. So I segue into that, bring that up because I think that that's the purpose of doctrinal triage, for whatever motive. I mean, yeah. you, you brothers talked about money, you talked about the fraternity. I've talked about the fraternity. We talked about Tyrax. Um, <laughs> I think even evangelical. Metrosexuals were brought up and and so dress you know worried about how you look and how you dress etc cetera, etc cetera. and the infeminate uh things going on uh and and you want to get together in conference over you know what kind of ties or suits you wear but uh or feel good wearing a suit but listen I think the purpose of, of doctrinal triage is undoubtedly interdenominational relations. It's, it's ecumenical. You want ecumenism. Would you guys agree that that's like the overarching theme here? They right. just, you, that, that's what um, Mueller wanted, right? You're talking about implications. Yeah. You no, know, I know we, we at 
BCRI, we stress thinking about implications. Think about things to where they go. Don't just think of it as, oh, this is novel. This is nice. I like it. I'll stick it in my file cabinet. But think about the doctrines that you hold. Think about the, the doctrines that are presented to you and then think deeply about where they go. The implication, yeah, yeah. the implication of triage, where if you drive down a doctrinal triage road, that's where you're going to end up. And I want to be clear too. Like I, I don't want someone hearing this to misunderstand me. You know, there's nothing wrong with wearing a suit and tie. That's that's what you want to do. You know, I, I like wearing suits and ties and, and brother Mike. But yeah, was, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like some people don't. And sometimes, you know, I don't want to dress up and go out to dinner with my wife or or look nice. And then uh, brother Mike likes wearing a bow tie. So there's things like that. Um, I'm that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you think that there's power by the way you dress yeah power in your in your presence yeah yeah in your appearance and presence like it's going to actually help somebody and where the heck where the heck do you get that from well the argument is i know we're kind of going off on a tangent here but the, the argument that i've heard is that you're dressing up for the king yes so the weakest yeah, weak argument are they really are they really doing that though? Are they really no, well, I gotta say who's who's the they're, king? They're, 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 Does Jesus really care if you're wearing a tie or not? No, they're, they're dressing up to the modern norm. And that started back in probably 1920s, 1930s, that mindset because they were poor. Yeah. And I don't want to go too far, but people were poor. So when you could wear your Sunday's best, it was because that was the only nice clothes that you could own. And so that mentality stems from humanistic, Americanized evangelical mindset it has nothing to do with a biblical basis but if you want to wear one have at it if you don't want to wear one okay but don't yeah, make that yeah a norm. i'm not ta- i'm not i'm not taking yeah. exception to yeah don't make that a norm though as that is a um, pietistic um standing on a person because they wear a suit and they carry their bible it means nothing corpses do that and so the, the fact of the matter is it, it stems from that and so wearing your Sunday's best and blah, blah, blah. We don't get too far off, but that, that, that's where, see, a lot of people don't study these things. And I say this because I had a problem with this and I did study it. And so did Eric and others and seeking it and saying, well, you know, is this really a biblical practice? And you find out now, right. no, it's not. So that's where you, that's where you study and you seek these things and you understand cultural norms do not dictate biblical truths. And, that, and that's what not practicing the triage does for you. Then you'll yeah. actually go and study stuff like that. You know, and 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 I I I have so. I have I have always I have always said it as long as we have been doing this, you know, just with that first sentence, the purpose of doctrinal triage is undeniably ecumenical. Ecumenism has always been undeniably lucrative, and so on every turn. And I think this doctrinal triage, like I I often say it, I I don't know that anyone would argue with us and say it's not lucrative like i don't get anything for practicing this because that would be false like yeah. the speaker fees the the you know the professor uh, the professor post in academia like everything is yours for the pick for the taking um you open up a stable of a uh, farm system like opportunities to go and quote unquote pastor certain churches and their affiliates i just think that the the nest egg involved with upholding the doctrinal triage far outweighs the cost of standing against it. And so I, I, I really, I really think that the ecumenism and the financial benefit you're set 
if you uphold this. Yeah. It's just, it really is tied to one another. And I'm talking about those who champion it. I'm talking about those who, you know, with their three level quotes, quoting, you know, John Knox, who's quoting this guy, who's quoting this guy. And then you get credit because you quoted all three and they share your thing. Like those guys who are doing that and using the triage and then saying, when you try to press them down on something, that's a non-essential. I, I really think that that's what you're up against, that the money and the love of money is tied to the nature in which why this is practiced. I don't know that even people would say, well, guys, I'm, I, I want to be ecumenical. I don't think people study enough, I would say, overall to come up with not only that term, but to define it well um, due to the triage. But I will say this thing brings in the cash. And yeah. That's, yeah, that's what you're what, dealing with. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm pointing out here. I think that, yep. you know, you got you want people that differ from each other to get together and, uh, and pretend like they're fighting against something and have conferences. Right. Conferences. Right. Put that in there. Example conferences. It is also constructed in order to bring differing theological views together to combat assaults against the church. For example, conferences. So, for example, they, one court. Yeah, go ahead. Start. Go ahead. I'm sorry, brother. No, 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 no. You, you, you. The, the. The issue I have, because I think this is a little bit of deception that the people, because I remember we talked about an episode or two ago, you know, we were asking how far gone is this thing? And I made the comment that I think the followers now champion it more. Yes. You know, the problem is you have now the servers at conferences are now championing it and they don't have, they don't, they're not even seeing the benefit of the people they're hiding in and standing behind and promoting this. So I just think there's a layer of deception um, that is tied into all this ecumenism that makes you feel like you have to stand for this, even if you're not seeing direct benefit from it. And uh, that's what we're after. That's why we're sitting down going through this. I mean, you know, for 10 people who hate what we're saying, I pray there's one or two who actually say, I'm, I'm not going to stand for this anymore. But yeah, exactly. Uh, I just think that that is a good kind of explanation as to why the ecumenical part, because like I said, people will look at this and go, I'm not being ecumenical. But I believe that the money is what drives the ecumenism and the and 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 the benefit of being ecumenical is financial. So you can't get away from those two points. Implications. Yeah. So if you go to any of these conferences um, and you talk to the people there, and it's the excitement, kind of like a Republican convention or something, <laughs> the gospel of the Lord Jesus, his cross work and bodily resurrection, or triage. Well, you're going too fast. Hold on, back up. I gotta I gotta point this out. Um, the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ is cross work and bodily resurrection or triage level of primary importance, whereas the theological controversy concerning the doctrine of pneumatology between cessationism and continuationism is considered a secondary matter of importance, but divisive and therefore left undebated. Yeah. So uh, everybody loves John Piper. No, I, I, don't. I don't. I don't. No, so I'm saying I'm saying I'm saying in the conference world. Yeah. John Piper gets together with um let's let's name a cessationist. MacArthur. Just say John MacArthur. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, um, is he still getting with him? No. Oh, oh well, no, we're just we're so, just oh, using an saying, example. I got of you. Somebody. I know what you're saying. Okay, like, I got you. No, okay. historically. And, and yeah. Duran and I have, have actually talked to MacArthur and, and he's and we we've heard what, what he has to say. So he's not really um it's not really the same anymore, but uh just an was. example just an example of um of that ecumenism 
Like they yeah. get together and they have conferences together. And then you see a lot of people criticizing like, well, I can't believe so-and-so would conference yeah. with John Piper because he said this, this, and this, or he holds this, this, and this. And usually it's uh, the main problem is cessation and continuationism. And so they just, they, they both know where the other, where each other stand. Yeah. And I kind of like, uh, you know, a lot of people appreciated when MacArthur debated sprawl over sprawl. infant baptism. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, people listening could see that the scriptural content coming from MacArthur uh, was much more than came from Sproul. Sproul leaned heavy on tradition. tradition. And that and that helped a lot of people that were kind of on the fence on the thing. And so why can't we do stuff like that? Why can't and, why can't John, John MacArthur challenge uh, Piper and be like, hey, let's debate pneumatology yeah. because it's uh, it's too divisive and, and, and it needs to be left undebated because it's going to mess with these conferences and stuff. So, sorry go ahead go ahead Duran. That's, sorry that's I, again i just i think when you're looking at what the triage has accomplished even with the new book that's come out um regarding you know finding what hills to die on and all that other stuff you know i just i i really think the effect of this triage and i really believe i mean I, because biblically it talks about what happens when you begin to do this with god's word and doctrine but you know, one of one of the one of the big effects of this is that you not only have a rampant kind of ecumenism, but you have this sense in which, even from the conference circuit, people will rebuke you for things that they have used the triage to erect before you. And then you also have not only that, but you have a sense in which people will rail against everything about the conferences except the conference themselves. Sure. And so. You know, I, I just again, I believe that that this triage causes you to triage everything, not just doctrine. Its most dangerous feature is doctrine, but you begin to triage even the implications and the ethics of how I'm supposed to conduct myself, uh, orthopraxy from the Word of God. I mean, you begin to triage that. Uh, I I I just think that that is we're we're at that point where we're now seeing the effects of it. Yes. Maybe 10, 12 years ago, we saw the novelty of it. You're trying to warn people that this will have its effects. I believe we're at it. We're at the effects. Yes. Um, but also, too, I should have brought this up earlier um, when I when I read those quotes from Luther and uh, Spurgeon. Some guys have have claimed that this thesis is false teaching. Are you also prepared to say that Charles Spurgeon was a false teacher? Or Does he agree? He he he. Uh, he, he they agree with me. No, because the Johnson. comment comes from when you begin the triage men. <laughs> because yeah. because Spurgeon, Spurgeon, Eric, and you're so, Eric. And even though you guys are saying the same thing, I can get something if I stand with Spurgeon, even if I disagree with him. Uh, Mike uses the word cowardice. I think that that is in play when you really take this to its logical end. And I'm not using that to thumb my nose at anybody, but it does fester cowardice. Like, you know, if you're going to say something is false teaching too, you have to identify biblically where it, where it. Yes. Yeah, so you got to give an argument. Cause if false. you say, you say this is false teaching, but God's like, Hey, he was just defending biblical hermeneutics. Then you're in trouble. Right. Well, and if it's false teaching, is this, is doctrinal triage then a primary issue? That's a good point. I mean, is it a they, primary issue? Because they'd pro probably be like, they they, <laughs> they act that way, but they would probably say, no. 
Yeah, because they, but, if you're a false teacher that way. for coming up against this, then doctrinal triage is a primary issue. And we need to, uh, if, if we're wrong about this thing, then our eternal souls are at stake. Now we're now the arguments are elevated a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have to hold a doctrinal triage in order to be saved? <laughs> because that's the, that's what they're saying. If you're that's, this, yeah, you're teaching, you have to hold the doctrinal triage to be a believer, to be saved. That this is the reason for which Christ was crucified, so that I would hold to the doctrinal triage. Eschatology, ladies and gentlemen, is often considered to be tertiary matter of importance <laughs> and the most divisive <laughs> proponents of doctrinal triage. And so we're going to talk about that. Some guys have even said MacArthur was in, is in sin for emphasizing eschatology. I don't think he is. I think he's just faithfully talking about last things. But uh, we're supposed to leave that discussion out according to modern evangelical celebrities because it's too divisive. Why don't we just calm down and go to the Bible and then look and see what's true and then believe in that eschatological position? Mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of guys are embarrassed because, like you know, like you said, Chris, you, you used to hold hold the amillennialism, but you have some you have humility in saying that you see my position. But then I was convicted, and I came around, and and uh, you know, it's undeniable what the correct position is. The amillennialism, amillennialism is embarrassing because it's so uh, so esoteric, and it's got a lot of um, features that are um, what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, Allegory. allegory, a lot of allegory, allegorical. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I mean, I just again, could, I couldn't I couldn't when I looked at the scriptures. I just I couldn't I couldn't stand all that anymore <clears throat> when I actually exegeted passages of scripture and wrestled with it and prayed and asked the Lord to show me the truth. I just I could not hold to that anymore. It just. But, a yeah, lot of exactly. guys, a lot of guys that I hear that they go from pre-mail to A-mail, it's because they've read Sam Storms or they read R.C. Sproul or they read <laughs> some. It's not. It's not. Oh, I studied the scriptures, and pre-mail doesn't add up. It's oh, I read this guy and I saw this video of this theologian. Yeah, this guy, exactly. That guy. No, I actually studied the scriptures and cried out. Yeah. I want to know what's the true position. The Abrahamic covenant hit me right between the eyes and I couldn't, (laughs) I I just could, I couldn't go any further than that. Right. So listen, the scriptures specify or categorize doctrines as primary, secondary, tertiary level of importance. And we're going to look at that uh, when we get together next time, when we start going through a lot of these biblical passages, it's going to be a lot of scripture discussion. Here and the, and then those people that appeal to these scriptures, what are they saying? What does the scripture actually say there? But listen, we have to. What we've established so far is that that criteria for people and Chris, you brought this up quite a few times uh, for uh, doctrinal triage is subjective to the reader. Mm-hmm. So again, th- this mm-hmm. fails the test of biblical hermeneutics because it has traces of postmodernism, um, subjectivity. You know, your own opinion, eisegesis. And so you can take all those doctrines out of the Bible and just put them in categories that you feel are appropriate. That's why one guy said that the doctrine of mutation is 15th tier. So now you're talking about 15th, 15 tiers. So it is subjective to the reader because the reader is the authority to distinguish the authorial intent and the doctrinal levels of importance. 
is subject to change mm-hmm. or scientific consensus. And you have different people arguing what they think is first, second or tertiary or 15th tier. Illustratively, if one cat- catalogs a particular doctrine, the word of God is primary and another catalogs same doctrine as secondary, like you were saying, Chris, logic declares that one interpretation could be right. And the other interpretation can be wrong, but both interpretations can't both or both interpretations could be both wrong, but both interpretations can't both be right if you're saying two different things. Nope. But listen, if you if it can be determined from the testimony of scripture that there is no biblical warrant for doctrinal triage, then doctrinal triage is an extra biblical standard that is applied to the scripture with ecumenical purpose to have a shared experience of fellowship on only primary doctrines among interdenominational divides. That's what we're saying. Like Deron's saying, it's, it's, it's ecumen- ecumenical. That's how you that's can a, have e- ECT, evangelicals yes. and Catholics together. That's, yeah, a, that's okay. how you can do that. And that's, and, that, and that's even like minimalizing the what you're saying is primary issue. Because <laughs> you, you can just say, hey, we both believe in a doctrine of the Trinity, so we can have a conference together. And High five. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> all other doctrines from the word of god that are not defined as primary become as of secondary or tertiary matter of importance and are dismissed or ignored because they disrupt the unity of interdenominational relations and so when we get in the next chapter of the thesis we're going to examine from the scripture if there is indeed any biblical warrant for doctrinal triage so i i, I really i really believe that the purpose i wanted to put the purpose in there because i think that uh, the purpose of um, doctrinal triage is ecumenical because it's, it, and it's also uh, has traces of postmodernism and we have to accept, we have to presuppose as Christians self-attested principles of biblical interpretation, self-attested monolithic, monolithic. Second Peter one twenty propositionally argued for one interpretation of scripture when Peter wrote, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. That's where the problem is because the apostle Peter referred to an entire corpus quantity of content and taught the objectivity of scripture, which came from God and is not subject to the reader determining the authorial intent in any other way than what the author purposed to communicate. So like you're saying, Chris, one, one guy's saying, hey, this is second tier, but this doesn't agree with the other guys. So you have two different interpretations. So it fails the test. Right. I mean, it goes, of, uh, right, goes right back to that, 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 that last statement. You know, either one guy's right and the other one's wrong or the other guy's right and the first guy's wrong or both of them are wrong. But they both, but they both can't. can't be right. they, yeah, exactly. They both can't both be right. Yeah. A A can't A cannot be A and both A cannot be both A and non A at the same time. It's just you can't do that. That's <laughs> law of non contradiction. I mean, come on. Logically, it, it, it's just it's it's not going to work. It's not going to pan out that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, again, this goes back to the cowardice that you guys have been talking about. It's just it's easier just to say, well, uh, you know, we'll just agree to disagree on this one and we won't address it anymore. Yeah, yeah I can, but, I can but say... If, but if souls are at stake, why would you want to stop addressing it? Right. So, go ahead, Duran. 
No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you. I, I, I can say that the, uh, the strength of this thesis is in what's coming next, uh, the exposition. Yes. Um, you know, I, I, I remember even when, you know, brother Eric was researching for this. I remember we, we sat down before God's word. And we studied and, and studied. And we, we studied and, and, and said, if this, if this triage is right, we want to be right. If yeah, this triage I, is wrong, we want to prove that not only it's wrong, but we want to look for that, which the word of God says and obey that. And I, I just remember the excitement that we had when we found out what the scripture itself affirmed in relation to the arguments and all the research, not that we did it second, but it was very organic that you do them both at the right. same time. But yeah, um, we went, I, I went, th went through this with you. I saw things. I was like, yo, Duran, you see this man? We were talking and about scripture. That was nuances so, so. In, in Greek and all that. Yep. And you and Matt and Mike yep. just going over these features. Yep. And uh, I'm really, uh, so this I'm is all been I'm indebted to I'm this indebted is, to having a, what's go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I said this has all been introductory. Like I yes. know we've made statements about the evangelical movement that that's historical just been the theology. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's going over the historical development and which is important that we need to go through. But now, like you said, I'm really excited for what we're about to go into. Yeah. When we meet again, God willing, we're yep. gonna go in through all these passages. And uh it's the most exciting part of this thesis. I oh, yeah. when we get into the it's entertaining reading the historical development. Oh, absolutely. And, and there's some major, major arguments uh, that, you know, silver bullets that we went over as we we're going through that. But when we get where we're going to go now is just remarkable. It's it's yeah. the greatest part of this whole thing. And I'm just I'm just writing. I'm just copying, you know, what the arguments are from the word of God. Yep. I, I would actually invite <clears throat> Our, our listeners, our current listeners, to invite as many people as they can to watch now and even our impo uh, our opponents to watch. Yeah, it's going to be like a Bible study. It's a Bible watch, study. Yeah, to watch these yeah. next ones. Bring your Bible with you. Bring your Bible with you. Have it in front of you. Yeah. And that way, if you have an issue, you can stop, stop us in the comments. Hey, oh, 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 wait. You know, you said in the Greek it says this, or you said, or what, what do you do when you cross-reference that passage with this passage or whatever? You can ask the questions and everybody's face will be right in the text. So I would, I would recommend that you invite as many people as you can, bring your Bible with you, have your Bible open in front of you, because that's all we're going to be doing is looking at scripture and, and, and exegeting it, breaking it down. Amen. Yeah. Uh, Mike, got anything else? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't go too far, but really a lot of this comes down to it's a soteriological war and, and it really is. It's a soteriological war. It is people that want things to be ecumenical. So it ushers in more into the kingdom. And, and we're saying this is what God's word says is narrow is the way. And so the problem is there's a lot of people that argue saying that we're teaching, uh, almost well, they say sinless perfectionism or that you have to have every doctrinal, uh, theological uh, down to be saved and we're not saying that but yet they're saying this is the bare minimum that you have to believe in to be saved and so uh we, we have a soteriological war and we're not saying that you have to understand and know every doctrine to be saved but but the, this is essential to the faith of understanding who christ is and who he is so you can't even understand who christ is or repent without having doctrinal understanding and so there's a lot of people that are arguing this side, saying that we're we're proponing this that you have to understand every theological. Yeah, and there's an saved. argument at the at the end of the thesis that yes. addresses that clearly. And, and so it's, so ecu the ecumenical mindset for me 
stems from the, the individual churches. The, those conferences are able to flourish because of individual churches adopting this and teaching this within their churches. Their elders uh, don't, don't even agree upon doctrine. And so how can you be unified? And so the, fa the fact of the matter is it's much easier to be ecumenical in that mindset and to keep business going by allowing people to be a part of that church that actually do not hold the sound doctrine but because they agree on two points, they can say they're acceptable. And so this happens on a, on a smaller basis, on a large scale. And so you have uh, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon people that, that are holding to unsound doctrine that are, are being affirmed in the faith that they should, they should not be affirmed in the faith. And so what happens with that is you have churches that are unhealthy, starting from the top down to the bottom. So we're arguing against this to create sound doctrine, unified on doctrine, and being unified in the faith upon doctrine, not our subjective feelings, not, not our, our, our church councils, not, not um, our church history, but on God's word and God's word alone. And so the problem has occurred and gotten so big and so bad because of this. And so I, I want to say this too. There's a lot of people that, that would leave unsound churches, unsound, heretical teaching, charismaticism, and they say, I was a Christian, but now I've came to understanding the faith, and they would say, hey, I I'm, now, I'm now sound and reformed, but they would still call those people brothers and sisters. Then why would you ever leave there in the first place? Mm -hmm. So no one wants to make that statement and wants to draw that line because it's their family, their friends, their, their pastors, their mother, their father, their uncle, their brother, and so it creates ecumenicalism because of that based upon, well, what's the bare minimum someone can believe and be in the faith. Yeah. That's and a lot of times done. they just say, Hey, you know, I, I told that person, I quoted John three sixteen, and that's all yeah. that I said to him. Or, or, or we said, or we, I had him pray a prayer after me or something yes. like that. The sinner's so, prayer. Wow. Yeah. I, re I really think, I really think, you know, and I don't want to draw this, but your brother's absolutely correct. I really think the whole irreducible minimum, um, you know, I just I think that that comes from a, a corporate pragmatism. Um, yeah, and not absolutely. only that, I, I really I really think that, you know, when you're dealing with that mindset of what is essential, when the question was asked in Acts, it was assuming. And we'll talk about this. I think it's in the thesis. Yeah, it's, it's in there. Yeah. Chapter 15. It's, it's assuming an umbrella of undivided, strongly upheld preserved corpus of apostolic doctrine and under that the essential argument is what do i need to practice from this unified corpus to be a maturing and and faithful christian to the lord jesus christ mm -hmm. um so essentiality has nothing to do with how do i chop this up yeah. and get myself to live in light of the spirit of the age uh and that 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 is an axe that's a passage in acts that the question is asked under that presumption so you know, but this is a blessing, brothers. I, I appreciate the boldness in Christ in this. Our listeners, I really do hope that this uh, that this will be something that, if nothing else, you stop and pause and begin to open up God's word. Uh, yeah. You know, you're going to come under heavy attack from this because, you know, based on what Mike said, soteriological war, people are going to challenge you and question if you're even sane or, or if you're trying to usher in some cult because you won't walk into a certain kind of pragmatism. Yeah. Um, you know, but again, you'll find yourself on the side of apostolic sound doctrine, teaching from the word of God. And uh, I'm not asking anybody. I mean, I want people to join the truth. And, you know, I believe that we're practicing and preaching it. But maybe the Lord will raise up from this teachers of his word who are faithful that you can go out and 
the Lord will have you establish his church and you'll be yeah. followed by his people as you follow him. So, I mean, that's my hope along the, along the lines of what we're doing as well. All right, gentlemen. Yeah. Well, I think that was another good one. Uh, as I've said at the outset, it's always a pleasure to spend time with you brothers and uh, chop up scriptures and talk about issues that are within the church and outside of the church. Um, I'm looking forward to continued progress with this. You know, Lord willing that we just keep this going as long as we can. Is uh, people just need to hear truth. Um, and like like we said, again, I may have to just say this after every episode, but if you disagree, you feel free to come on the show, the podcast. Um, the email is, you can email us at bcritrainofthought at gmail.com. You can, we all have uh, Facebook pages. You can message us through Facebook Messenger, say, I don't like what you said. I want to uh, come on there and defend the triage. We're not going to tell you no. Because again, it goes back to that, what we were talking about earlier, that we're trying to get to the bottom of the truth. We're trying to get to the, the what does the scripture actually say? Um, and, so, and, I, and I would also say, brother, for fear, for, for some of you, for fear of being kicked out of the synagogue, because that's your mentality. Hmm. If you want to reach out to us privately, you don't want anybody to know about it. I can't promise you that won't happen, but privately reach out. There's no layers of security and secretaries um, between us and the people in any instance. So I would say sit down, be reconcilable, be humble. And if you want to really understand what's being said, I would say reach out privately if you need to, um, if you're less inclined to do so publicly. Right. We're, we're not, we're not. We're, I believe we're all mature men. We're not the ones that take our toys out of the sandbox and go home or kick the ball over the fence. We don't, we don't do that stuff. We, we want to wrestle with you uh, and come to the truth so that God is glorified. So again, not, go ahead. Ephesians, Ephesians 4, I read this earlier, it's a, it's a mm -hmm. great verse. Read again. Um, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we yeah. all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the statue stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So that's our goal. Ephesians four, that's Ephesians four verses 12 through 13. Well, yeah. We don't need to go any further than that. You heard it from the scriptures. So thank you brothers for, joining me today uh, we'll do it again in a couple of weeks we'll get some rest next week um and then we'll get into exegesis of scripture as to why the doctrinal why we believe the doctrinal triage is not biblical again we invite all of you to invite your friends bring your bibles with you have them open in front of you so you can follow along because we're going to verse by verse go through these passages of scripture to show why they do not support uh, the doctrinal triage. So thank you all for listening. Thank you all for supporting us. Yeah. Keep us in your prayers. Keep the, the Lord's church, which is uh, Mike and Eric's church. Keep uh, biblical Christ church, which is Duran's church in your prayers. So and we're going to meet, uh, we're going to meet uh, not on the 1st of November next Sunday, but on the 8th. Right. Okay, so great. The, the next time we see uh, 
you guys who are listeners will be November 8th. So we will see you guys then. Have a great week and walk with your king. This has been Train of Thought, a podcast of the Biblical Christ Research Institute. For our written articles, go to bcri.wordpress.com. And for sermons, go to SoundCloud and search Biblical Christ Church. For comments and questions, email us at bcritrainofthought at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.